there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. And holy cow, I hope you're not in traffic right now on your bike or God forbid out rock climbing because my next guest is going to rock your world. You're going to need your wits about you to take in what she's got to share. Wherever you are, I hope you've got a mug of some delicious caffeinated beverage nearby because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is the remarkable Lindy Fishburne, who is a managing partner, in fact, the managing partner at Breakout Ventures, which takes innovations created by scientist entrepreneurs out of the lab and into the marketplace. Lindy is also the executive director of Breakout Labs, which are startups powered by science. She's going to be telling us all about this. Lindy has years of experience in nonprofit development and feasibility planning, having managed two startup companies through rapid growth and eventual sale. Lindy, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated with your tea and ready to go? Well caffeinated and ready to go. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So Lindy, first question is about your role as a managing partner, the managing partner at Breakout Ventures. Can you break that down for Java junkies to help them understand kind of the primary functions of your current job? Yes, we have a number of different constituents that we're always working with and being attentive to. So when you start a fund, initially you're working to find your own investors that in venture are called limited partners. And they are the people that write the check that gave us the money to be able to invest in startups. So we're constantly keeping our investors aware and up to speed and helping them learn about new industries and new companies. And then on the other side, we're always looking out for the latest entrepreneur and the newest company and the newest science and area that we think is investable. So we're a $60 million fund that will end up investing in probably around 13 companies. And we're close to halfway there at this point. Can we begin at really explaining properly to Java junkies what the heck venture capital is and what a fund like yours does and how hard it is to get something like that off the ground? So venture capital is the way that most innovation is funded. And it really is a set of investors taking a gamble to put money in at the earliest stages of company formation when they're still many areas of risk on the table. So people talk about technical risk, market risk, team risk, and financing risk. And venture capital comes into play at the seed stage when companies are just forming. Um, And then subsequent rounds are called series A, B, C, and D and beyond. And venture invest at each of those stages looking for, with basically a different tolerance level for the type of risk and the amount of risk that's still on the table in those companies. Ideally, as they're getting further along, there should be 
less technical risk. You've seen the team come together. You've seen market validation. And ideally, they're generating capital and there's less financing risk. And then the balance is all of these funds are looking ultimately for liquidity and to be able to return not only their investment to their limited partners, their initial investors, but ideally a return on top of that investment. So most venture funds are set up as 10-year funds that are looking to spend the first five years investing and putting the capital to work. And then the last five years, ideally harvesting those investments and returning capital in a systematic way to their investors. So when you said you're about halfway through spending down your $60 million of capital, your fund is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is it two years old? So we're two years old. And when we think about being almost halfway through, it's the money that we've actually already invested. So we've invested in seven startups so far in their Series A and Series B rounds. But then you're typically also allocating and reserving for follow-on investments in those initial companies. So we're looking at the amount that's actually already left and the amount that we are holding in expectation of funding into those companies again. And those two together, what you've invested in, what you've allocated or what you have in reserves, you know, lets us know that we're about halfway through our initial investing of this first fund. Got it. And how do you measure success? Is it that one of those ventures hits it big? Is it that each of them makes it? How do you as the managing partner at Breakout Ventures decide whether or not you've succeeded? Ultimately, it will be on the return across the entire fund, right? So if we invest $60 million into companies, the ultimate measure will be how much do we return across the entire fund? The way you get there is, is the puzzle that investors are always working on. Of course, ideally, you would love every investment to work and return itself plus. But if you look at traditional success in venture, people talk more about the power law, which has shown that typical funds are actually returned by one, maybe two investments out of the fund that make up for the ones that don't work and return the entire fund plus. Got it. So for the investors in breakout ventures, what kind of return for them would be considered a good one? So the range of venture returns is is quite broad and everybody would like at a minimum their money back. And then from their top percentile, top quartile returns are, you know, maybe a 5x. So anywhere from a 3 to a 5x would be an excellent return in the, the venture world. Take us inside a typical day for you, Lindy. What do you do? Like, what time do you get into the office? How do you structure your day? Do you have a particular flow to it? Or is every day kind of up in the air? I'd love to say that there was <laughs> a more standard <laughs> structure. But I think my days are spent split in between being responsive and trying to be more strategic and plan for the future. So on the responsive side, it's the opportunity has come up with a company 
company that's doing a raise that is hot, that people are excited about, that you have to move to some degree on their timeline to meet the founders, look at the diligence, really engage and understand, is that a possible investment that you're going to pursue? Then we also have companies that we've already invested in that I may be serving on the board of or an advisor to that you're constantly engaging with them on helping with the next fundraise, helping with customer acquisition, serving as a reference, you know, working to coach the the CEO or the executive team. And then there's the longer term planning on how are we looking at our, our cash reserves? How's the fund performing overall? What are new relationships that we may need to be building and where are we going to drive our deal flow? So for me, it's a combination of some time spent internally with the rest of my team, but a lot of time spent externally with potential new companies, companies we're already invested in and building relationships with other venture investors to help build those co-investment opportunities and future syndicates. So if I was a fly on the wall, let's say yesterday, what would I have seen you doing? Let's see. Yesterday, we did a video call with a brand new young company of three people in a third floor walk up in New York that's looking for their first funding to take technology that they developed at Penn out into the world, which is a pretty exciting new new opportunity. I sat down with our accountants looking at the planning for the fund and our future cash needs and planning what's called a capital call when you reach out to your investors and ask them to send the next set of money of capital that they've come committed to the fund, and then working with our team to plan our big annual showcase when we have our companies present to you know a room full of 100, 200 investors. Is that like a Shark Tank kind of a thing? A bit like that. Sometimes they're called demo days where companies stand up and do a five to seven minute presentation of where they are at that point in time and how their company and how their product has developed and grown and trying to spread the word and help secure next set of investors and next customers. Can you give us some examples of the startups that you're invested in right now. You and I were chatting offline about one of them called Modern Meadows, which is super cool. Could you share with the Java Junkie community what Modern Meadows does? Yeah. So we focus on companies that we talk about are they're taking science out of the lab and into the market or into the economy. So where there's a really core scientific or technological breakthrough at the heart of the company. And Modern Meadow personifies that in spades. They are actually looking at biofabricating leather. So creating leather with animal cells, but without actually killing the animal. So if it, it's the analogy is closer to the way that we brew beer in a, you know, you've seen the big vats that are brewing beer. They're actually using bugs to grow and essentially brew collagen. And then they layer that collagen into a material that looks and feels and has similar properties to what we think of as leather coming off the hide of an animal. And they're also able to imbue that material with additional properties that you don't find in nature. So it's not only, you know, mimicking natural leather, but providing new attributes for new materials for use in everything from fashion goods to car seats to to home products. 
have I don't know how familiar you are with the intricacies of the of the team that created this. Do you know how they came up with this idea? They actually started from a team in St. Louis, mm-hmm. University of Missouri in St. Louis, where they were looking in the lab at how do you do, how do you replicate and scale up cells? And they'd spun out that technology into another company called Organovo that does cell replication to actually build things like vessels and liver patches. And then this team actually spun out and took the technology in the direction of what are non-medical uses for or the ability to scale cells into new materials. Oh my gosh. And how long has this been in the development stage? Wow. So we put the first funding in out of Breakout Labs when we seed funded them back in 2012. And now they are working on their first commercial partnerships to bring products to market. So these are companies that take a long lead time to actually bring substantive, you know, market-changing, life-changing advances out into the world. I know you've got so many other amazing companies that you're working with right now. One of them is Immusoft. Is that right? Yes. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, Immusoft is a really interesting cell therapy company that actually was started by a computer scientist. So not started by a biologist, as you might expect in a therapeutics company. And this computer scientist said we should really be able to program cells the way that we're able to program computer science. And he dug in very deep on that idea and understanding what aspects of that we're able to do and what aspects are still really challenging. He ended up licensing a technology for cell reprogramming out of David Baltimore's lab at Caltech that allows them to reprogram a patient's own B cells. So B cells are in all of our bodies and are our long-lived memory cells. So when you go and get a vaccine for polio that works your entire life, that's because your B cells are remembering how they would fight the polio virus if you were exposed to it. So B cells are pretty remarkable. And this company has the capability of reprogramming a patient's own B cells to produce a protein or an enzyme that a patient is missing due to a particular disease. So they have advanced through animal studies and are now in the midst of filing what's called their IND for an investigational new drug with the FDA, which is the agency that manages clinical trials and drugs, ultimately therapeutics coming to market. And so ideally, they will be in their first patients in a clinical trial in a rare childhood disease starting in early 20. 19. Lindy, how did you get into the venture world? I will in a few minutes be asking you about your time in undergrad, but could you just share with us how you like what was it that drew you to this field and how did that happen? Yes, I'd love to say that it was a, a really planned um, <laughs> you know, set of career steps, but it really it wasn't. In some ways, I backed into seeing the opportunity after the financial crisis in 08, which is taking us back a little bit. There was a dramatic pullback of capital that was willing to take technical risks. There was real excitement around web apps and IT, and a lot of capital moved that direction. And yet simultaneously in our science 
sciences, we were seeing substantial breakthroughs the Human Genome Project had published. We were leveraging computation against biological problems. So we had this mismatch of tremendous opportunity and breakthrough, and yet this dramatic pullback of capital. And so that led me to see that there was an opportunity there and an opportunity for new capital to come in and really have an impact moving these substantive ideas forward. And that led me to look down the path of various ways of funding those ideas, first leveraging philanthropy and ultimately bringing more traditional venture to the table. Do you think that for someone to be successful in the venture field, they have to be good at math? I think that there's a base set of financial metrics that are important to understand, but I wouldn't say that's the same as being really strong at math. It's more understanding what are the numbers that are required for businesses to succeed. What would you say, you know, if you had to describe yourself, where are your strengths and where are the areas where you would say, I lean on other people? to get me through this, that, or the other, or these are areas that I wish I were stronger in, but you know, so be it. Yeah. I think if you look at how we've built our team, it speaks to that pretty strongly. So I'm fundamentally a consulting mind at heart and really enjoy working with entrepreneurial teams and helping them problem solve and working in a pretty hands-on way with them. My partner in the fund is much stronger on the number side, on the analysis side, on ensuring that, to your earlier question, that the math is holding, that the deal terms are appropriate, the analytical side of things. And then my third partner is a, a PhD in neuroscience and so is much stronger on actually being able to vet the underpinnings of the science and the idea and what it's going to take and where that scientific and technical risks are. So I think a big part of careers is figuring out what you're good at, what you're interested in, and then ensuring that you're building a team or part of a team that helps supplement things that your deficits or things that are less interesting to you. As you were describing this, Lindy, it made me think of one of the movies, and I'm forgetting the name, but it's one of those big superhero movies that came out recently that has, you know, Captain America and Superman and Wonder Woman, and each of them has their strengths, yet together they're the ones who will keep the earth safe. Is that kinda, very much so? Is that kind of <laughs> how you feel? Yes, I would I would love to say that we have put together a superhero team that helps balance out our strengths and means that the companies that we work with connects with each of us for different things. Would you describe yourself as a good networker? And if so, what advice would you have to offer those Java junkies who may find it challenging, intimidating, whatever to do it well? Yes, I think that it's important to put yourself out there. It's important for people to know you and know what you're interested in. And so I would very much encourage people to think about how to reach out, to think about how to put themselves in in the right place in opportunities where they can learn and opportunities where more people can know what they're interested in so that when opportunities come up, they are they're thought about. And so what kind of places would that be, especially for somebody who's interested in getting into the venture world? Yeah. So the great 
part and what's really changed in the last 10 years is the amount of infrastructure and opportunity that's sitting on college campuses and incubators in, you know, across the country. So in most universities, there are innovation centers now, there's entrepreneurial centers, there's opportunities where scientific undergrads and majors are connecting with business undergrads and majors. So there's a number of opportunities there to sign up for clubs, to sign up for events, to interact with the entrepreneurial ecosystem and hence learn a lot and build a network there. And then if you go one step out from kind of universities and schools, what we're finding are really incubators and opportunities that are pulling an, uh, entrepreneurial ecosystems together in every city. So most of those hubs have regular events, they have speakers, they have networking events. And so we go to those, we host those, we send our ambassadors to those. And I think it's a very valid way of of building a network and becoming savvy about who are the players in a network that it's important for you to know. When you say we send our ambassadors, what does that mean? Yeah, so we actually, Breakout Labs has nine ambassadors on university campuses across the country that are postdocs and PhD students that volunteer for Breakout Labs to attend entrepreneurial events in their ecosystem, usually around their university or city, as a way of helping to scout for new Breakout Labs companies and refer them our way. Oh, so... How can Java Junkies find out where these ambassadors are based? Yeah. So if you look at breakoutlabs.org, our website, there's the opportunity to apply to be an ambassador and also the listing of our current ambassadors that are great younger people to connect with that are looking at opportunities at this intersection of science and business. Do you have an ambassador at your undergrad alma mater at Duke? Interesting. We actually don't right now. So that is an opportunity. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So when you were at Duke, what did you study? And did you know what you were going to do with that degree? I actually ended up studying cultural and physical anthropology, which I wasn't sure exactly where that led, but it was this interesting intersection of some work in the sciences. You know, I spent a summer in Costa Rica studying monkeys and and doing, you know, firsthand scientific observational work. And then we also on the the societal side studied advertising and motivation and cultural differences. And so it turned out to be a really great background for business in general and working with organizations and people, even though it was a traditional liberal arts major, that doesn't point directly to a particular career. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. It really does. Studying monkeys in Costa Rica. It was, I loved it. And I was exploring how much of a hands-on scientist I wanted to be and could be. And I found out by doing that, that I'm, I'm too impatient um, <laughs> and I'm not going to be the one that you want collecting your data. But I really enjoyed the experience. When you graduated, what was your first job and how did you get it? I went to work at an environmental nonprofit in Washington, D.C. called American Rivers, doing all of their fundraising and cause-related marketing. And I went through, this is really going to date me, Duke had a great center where companies listed internships 
and in these big notebooks. And I poured through these notebooks and applied for a number of internships and environmentally based nonprofits. And that was where I landed for the first two years out of school and the three month internship, which was unpaid. So that was not glamorous, turned into a a full-time job. And I also ended up meeting my husband there. So I guess it really paid off in many ways. Absolutely. And so what came after that job? I spent a lot of time in that job working with corporations and understanding what they were interested in doing philanthropically and what they were interested in giving and how they were interested in being involved in their communities. And I found that I was confronted with annual reports that should give me a sense of how much money it was appropriate to to ask a company for. And I fundamentally did not know how to read those annual reports. And that sent me down the path of ultimately applying and going to business school and getting my MBA because I felt as though there was a set of business analytics that I had just not been exposed to that I needed a better understanding of. And are you glad you got your MBA? I am and I enjoyed it, but I certainly don't think it's necessary. That is good to know for sure. (laughs) Lindy, what did you do at Duke, if anything, in terms of clubs and internships while you were at school, extracurricular activities, sororities that in hindsight, you think actually turned out to be assets once you were in the working world? Yes, it was, I was really involved in a number of different activities. I had an internship at the brand new at the time entrepreneurship center that had opened up in Durham. And again, you know, you're volunteering, but I was helping draft business plans for startup companies that were part of what now looking back, I realized was one of the first entrepreneurial incubators and Durham was kind of ahead of its, its time. And that was great exposure and experience putting, you know, initial pitch decks together. And I was also involved in a number of more philanthropic activities and have always known that volunteering and being connected with nonprofits and the flexibility of the impact that nonprofits can make was important to me. And so I think those, you know, organizing skills of events and and fundraisers and those types of things on campus turns out to be very helpful. And starting to get some real world experience while in school was also something that I'm very happy looking back that I was able to do. Yeah, it sounds like it for sure. Lindy, I try to ask all Time for Coffee guests to share a story with our listeners about a low time for you in your profession. We've all had them. We've all had (laughs) challenging bosses, or maybe we were super in over our head and were embarrassed or afraid to say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Some of us have gotten fired. Would you share a personal story that would give our Java junkies comfort knowing that it is possible to screw up? It's possible to mess up in a big way and still recover and reach new heights. Yes, of course. I think it happens to all of us regularly. Let's see. I think for me, a highlight that that I immediately comes to mind is after business school, I worked in management consulting. And in management consulting, you are thrown into 
actually very high level meetings with executives that have a lot more experience than you do at large Fortune 50 companies. And as the junior consultant on the team, I had been tasked with putting the the book together, which was the the presentation that you bind that you're going to take into the client the next morning and have an entire team review on some particular topic. And it was the one of the first times I'd had that opportunity and I'd stayed up, God knows how late, putting this book together, you know, it's 40, 50 pages of presentation. And then back then you had to stand over this little machine that put the holes in the pages and, <laughs> yes. you know, put the put the spiral into the to the book, which of course now I'm sure it's all electronics. So this is definitely dating me. And then I met the managing partner of the firm the morning and we were going to drive down to this large Silicon Valley Fortune 50 company. And I I was driving and he was going to flip through the book to get comfortable with it before we went in to present. And the entire way down, he starts screaming and ripping pages out of this book that I've spent all night putting 20 of these things together. And there were pieces that he did not like, did not approve, did not agree with that I hadn't done the way that apparently that was the expectation. And so my book of, you know, 40 pages by the time we got there, We're now standing in the parking lot, pulling out pages from all 20 copies. And it is a much more slender presentation. None of the page numbers line up, right? You're just mortified. But we went in with these slender books and pages littered all over the back of the car that had not made the cut and ended up having a great meeting. And, and, you know, the right discussion happened on the client side. And it was quite a mortifying and educational experience. And sort of, I think I've come to to learn a bit of a consultant's rite of passage, but thoroughly uncomfortable and something that at the moment, you know, I would have loved to put my tail between my legs and vanish, but we had to go in and, and conduct the meeting. And, you know, the next day is a new day and everybody moves on. So I think it's important to to continue, you know, and get back on the horse in those moments when you think you just want to melt. How do you think you manage to come in the next day with your head held high? <laughs> Lack of options and knowing that, you know, that was really the the only approach to keep going was to take it as a learning opportunity and do better the next time. Yeah. So final question, Lindy, if you could go back to Duke and do college all over again, based on the wisdom that you have today, what advice would you give yourself? I wish that I had connected with a particular teacher in a deeper way. So I think I didn't leverage the opportunity that was in front of me to connect on a more personal and longer term level with some of the amazing educators around me. And so I, if I had to do it over again, or if I wish what I had walked out of college with was probably more personal relationships with some of those phenomenal professors and, and their experiences. Thank you so much, Lindy, for making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. I know I am super stoked about the incredible startups that Breakout Ventures is funding. I can't wait to see that new leather that is going to be sold, hopefully on some fun pants and skirts and things like that. And with ImmuSoft, the ability to hopefully resolve and cure some terrible diseases that are out there and 
so many other amazing companies that you're funding right now. Thank you. We're pretty excited about the the future too. So we'll continue to be optimistic and really enjoyed our talk with you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.